We'll continue our study in Isaiah chapter 42 today, chapter 42 of the book of Isaiah, <coughs> as we continue our spring studies in the book of Isaiah. My father worked for over 30 years on the Iroquois National Wildlife Refuge. He was the second person ever to be hired here back in the late 50s. So it was, he got to be very familiar with all 14,000 acres of that place. He went into the swamp day after day until I would say there was very few people who knew the swamp better than he did. There were a few old swampers around, old fellow named Froggy, <laughs> a couple of other fellows. Uh, my father spent all those years wandering through those swamps and he knew them very well. Well, naturally, we were growing up, we went into the swamps with him. We took canoe trips down the Oak Orchard Creek many times, Sunday afternoon walks to the old Sour Springs, and especially during hunting season. He would always get an idea, I've got a good place to hunt. And we thought, oh, here we go, here we go. There's an island out in the middle of the swamp, let's go. So we'd have to wear hip boots if we were going with him. We pulled on our hip boots and off we went. I would follow him and we would go into the cattails. Now with so much low ground, there are places that had one or two feet of water all year long, and those places were filled with cattails. I can't tell you how many miles I've wandered through cattails. And cattails will grow very thick, so you have to knock them down to get your way through. In certain places, the cattails grew tall, very tall, seven or eight feet way up over your head. I remember walking through cattails off a of sour spring so high, you really didn't know where you were. They were up, way up over your head. So I'd find a little tree and shimmy up the tree, see where I was, go back down, keep going. <coughs> And then go on pushing through the cattails as we went. You'd find deer trails through the cattails where the deer pushed over the cattails. They would grow up in the spring from out of the water. And by early summer, they'd be reaching way up high in the air. In the fall, the frost would kill them off. And they would blow over or get knocked over uh, by an early snow. In my life, I've seen whole ecosystems develop around the cattails in the swamp. Now, strangely enough, in our text today, we will find a comment about cattails. Let's see what we can learn from a cattail and what the Bible has to say about it. Now, we're in the book of Isaiah, and the last 26 chapters from 40 on to 66, center around really one basic theme. We saw it entering into chapter 40 as we begin our studies. The opening words were, Comfort, comfort my people, saith the Lord. And so as the rest of the book unfolds, one of the purposes of these 26 chapters is to comfort God's people in various ways. And as we look at chapter 42 today, we're told something quite amazing 
it should bring a good deal of comfort to us. So in order to understand our passage more completely, we jump ahead a little, read ahead, and then we'll go back and work through the rest of it. But in Isaiah 42, I'm going to start with verse number 9. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Probably one of the greatest causes of anxiety in our lives is fear of the future. What unknown thing lies in our future? What's going to happen to us? Where will we end up? And worry over what lies ahead of us is a very common concern about that people have. Isaiah would get this information from God 500 years before it actually happened. Now, 500 years is a long time. If we went back from today, 500 years into the past, uh, what was going on? Well, in 1492, you remember Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? 500 years ago, wouldn't it be amazing if Christopher Columbus predicted what would happen to us today? Isaiah was going to tell his own people what would happen 500 years in the future. It's a good thing to know that in the future, good things will happen. It helps us live here today. Many of the Jews in Isaiah's time were captives in Babylon. They needed good news about the future. Now, 500 years in the future for Isaiah is 2,000 years in the past for us. So we have the advantage of hindsight. But still, it's good to know that God also knows our future. He knows what's in our future. Personally, I don't worry about the future. I leave it to him. If he tells me what to do today, I'm happy with that. I'll trust him with all of my tomorrow. So let's see what the future held for Isaiah's people as we begin chapter 42, verse number 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He starts with that word behold, or means take. Take a good look at this. I want you to see something. I'm sending someone to you. He is my elect. Now that word means someone who is specially chosen because they are uniquely qualified. All right, the original intention of elections, election, was to choose the most elect or the most qualified candidate. Somewhere we've gone horribly astray from that original intention. But God says, I have chosen the best possible person. And I've given my spirit to him. Matter of fact, I'm delighted with my choice. He's perfect for the job. 
So introducing, he says, my choice, the most qualified, the elect. Here he is, and he says, it's my servant. Wait a minute. A servant? Why, the way you introduced him, I thought he'd be a king or a great ruler or a man with dominion. No, he's best described as a servant. This one that God wants us to see. So how is he qualified to be a servant? Verse 2, he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. Now in the olden days, kings had what they called a retinue. Or that is a group that traveled with the king going ahead of them and announcing the king is coming and the king is coming. You recall the story back in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the kings who ruled the whole earth, had runners who ran in front of him and said, bow down, fall on your face, the king is coming. And everyone got down on their face on the ground, except for three fellows, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he tried to burn them up, <laughs> but God didn't let that happen. But you see, kings want everybody to know, I'm here, be impressed, pay homage to me, I'm your king. But this servant, the one I'm going to send, will not shout out. He's not going to lift up his voice in the streets. He will not demand homage. Why, he doesn't even act like a king at all. He quietly goes about his business with no air of superiority. He doesn't act like a king. He acts like a servant. Well, of course, the servant who appeared 500 years after Isaiah was Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't walk around like a big shot. He didn't demand that people bow before him. He was poor. He was meek and lowly. You can't find an attitude in him. He didn't come to step on people. He came to serve them. Now here's a remarkable fact about Jesus. It's a fascinating comment. Verse 3. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment on the truth. A reed, this plant that grows on the edge of the water, <coughs> around here we call them cattails. And it says, Jesus will not break a bruised reed. Read. Now I just happen to have them here. <laughs> cattails. You're familiar with cattails, right? You see them all over. These are cattails. Uh, and you can see they're bruised. And just like that, they come right off where they've been bruised. Maybe. The winter snow or the winter wind uh, bruised the plant. Uh, it's really very easy to snap them right off. Uh, a wind or a deer or a heavy snow, something bent 
the plant over. And now it's bruised. It's weak. It's easy to break. It's even fragile, if you will. It falls apart. Now, it says Jesus will not break a bruised reed. Of course, he's not really talking about cattails, okay? He's talking about people. People are bruised. When life has given them a blow, maybe a sickness, maybe a disease and a wound, but it's a heavy blow, and it would be easy to break them. But Jesus is very gentle and very tenderhearted, and he's careful not to do further damage than already has been done. So, why do we use the metaphor of a cattail? Because a bruised cattail is very fragile. Very fragile. And so are people. Now, maybe your bruise comes from the circumstances, something has happened in your life. Or maybe the bruise you have comes from sin. Sin will bruise you. Consequences of your sin may have left you bruised. And you say, but I got what I deserved. I did what I shouldn't have done. My life has changed and I can't get back to what I used to be. You must, most of all, understand you can trust Jesus to be gentle and forgiving. And maybe the next metaphor might help you even better. He says, the smoking flax you will not quench. Oh. We can get the smoke light over here. He's talking about the smoking flax we won't quench. And he refers to the wick of a candle. And if you see the smoke, that's a smoking flax. That's what he's talking about, the smoking flax of a candle. He says that flax, you leave it be, it goes right out. It extinguishes itself. But Jesus says he wants to fix it and blow it back into a flame. So you say, well, my life used to be shining for Jesus. There used to be a light for Jesus. And now it doesn't. You wish it would shine again. But there's a little smoke. They say where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Jesus doesn't want your light to go out. He can rekindle it if you ask him to, and he will do it. The bruised reed, he's not going to break it. 
the smoking flax he will not extinguish. So the question today is, will you put yourself into his care? There never was a kinder, gentler friend than Jesus. You see, back in Isaiah's time, they thought God was only going to help you if you were Jewish and the rest of you forget about it. But verse 1 says Jesus will bring his truth to the Gentile. We read that. Jesus offers everyone help. To the weak, to the helpless, to the bruised reeds, to those whose light is barely lit, he offers restoration and renewal. And then there's something more, verse 4. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. If you are a bruised reed, if something has struck your life and struck it hard, you're probably right now pretty discouraged. The battle you are in has left you wounded and discouraged. But listen, my friends, good news here. Jesus is never discouraged. That's amazing to me. And he never fails. When he went through was an awful lot for us, you know. Poverty, he went through loneliness. He was abandoned by friends a great part of his life. He was denied and betrayed, but he never got discouraged. Isn't that something? That's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Maybe your light used to burn bright. Or maybe it's just a smoking flax. And you've wandered a little bit from God. And you failed him. You used to serve him, but now you don't. Jesus is not discouraged by your reluctance or by your wandering. He is still determined to help you. Just look at what he did. They conspired against him and plotted to take his life. They falsely accused him and put him on trial. They passed judgment on him and condemned him to die. Did he quit? Was he discouraged? Oh, no, my friends. Even nailed to the cross, he was not discouraged, and he never quit, but he kept on until hanging on that very cross, he finally cried out, It is finished. And it was true. He would not fail, and he did not fail. Now, personally, I think about my own life. I think about the things I've done. And I think Jesus must shake his head and say, Eric, not again. And you'd think he'd be discouraged over me. But no, no matter what I've done or how I failed, he doesn't get discouraged. He must be really something. Didn't he? This Jesus would go to no end to get me to understand the truth and to rekindle the flame. He shall not be discouraged. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful verse. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 5. 
Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and the spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand, keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. God made the heavens and spread them out above us, full of light and order. God made the earth Filled it with good things. The earth produces food for every living thing that there is. And God made people and he breathed life into us and gave us an immortal soul. And then he says, I sent a savior and a redeemer. He sent Jesus to us as proof that he has made a covenant. Jesus arriving on earth was a covenant. It's a promise to us. Jesus said, this is the new covenant I make in my blood. I promise to forgive you if you'll ask me to. He made the skies and the earth. He breathed life into every person. And now he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. So here are the consequences of his promise. Verse 7, to open the blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Blind eyes open. You can see now. You can understand. You can comprehend God and know what he's like. Prison doors swing open. No more bondage for you. Freedom he has. No more darkness but light. And as he opens your eyes and sets you free Verse number 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. He did it all for you. So don't try taking any credit. <laughs> he did it all for you. Where would you be without him? Hmm? Where would we be without him? So it leads us to verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth. He that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities therefore lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the island. If you venture out onto the sea or if you live in the middle of a city or if you live somewhere out into the wilderness or there's always something in it for you and I. If you live in a little place called Kedar, there were little tiny villages that never made it on a map west of Jerusalem. They were insignificant. Nobody ever mapped them. Nobody knew. All they know is that as back up in the hills there is this little tiny spot, little place you never heard of. Sounds like East Shelby to me. Huh? We're not on anybody's map, you know. He says to the, us here in East Shelby, shout to God, praise his name, be inspired, and sing a new song. Our Savior is kind and gentle with us. No matter what we do, he's not discouraged by us. He helps us when we're weak, and he blesses us when our lights are just barely burning. So this morning, are you discouraged? 
Are you feeling the weakness, the bruises of life? Some of us are. A servant has been sent who is eminently qualified to help us. And when he comes to us, serves our needs, and helps our weakness, God, he says, is delighted by it. He thinks it's wonderful. He promised it 500 years before Jesus arrived. And after 500 years, the promise was fulfilled. Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. And he comes to make a covenant with us. He says to all of us, come unto me, all ye are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we shout his praises, we sing a new song. You see, my friends, you could learn something from a cattail, after all. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, how close it gets to where we live, how it calls on people from small places to shout to God and be grateful for the kindness of our good Savior. We ask your blessing, Lord, on our lives. Come and be with us and bring to us that encouragement that comes so strong from your hand. May we trust in God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. May we find in him all that we need to go through life. Bless those out there, Lord, who are particularly in a battle today. May they find help in time of need. Know that you offer it and ask that you will pour it out on them wherever they are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books, if you will. Page 29, standing as we sing, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Standing as we sing, hymn number 29, to God be the glory. Page number 29.
rejoicing to you today. We are grateful that you have cared for us individually. Whatever it is that we are in, in our state, wherever we are, that you have come to take gentle care of us. If we are bruised, you will not break <coughs> us. And if we are smoking, you are there to light us back up, give us a flame again in our life. We thank you that you have cared that much, that you have been that patient, and that it is all your glory. We pray that we would give all praise and all glory, and we'd have a new song in our heart. May it drive us, and may you show us what you want us to do. Help us to go away from this place with joy, to see that there is hope in Jesus Christ. We thank you for these things. We ask for protection and care. And all these people, bring them back safely to this place. Continue to speak out your word from this place, we pray, and protect us in this place. In your name. 